I know you may think that gets trite for me to say that, but it is truly a thrill to be here and for those who have traveled so far and near to be with us. I know we have uh, Eli, Katie, Bennett, and Addie from Plymouth, not Plymouth, Indiana, not Plymouth, Massachusetts, but right here in Plymouth, Michigan. Thomas, Sarah, and Katie with a K. There they are from Wyoming, and not Wyoming, Michigan, Wyoming, United States, and Kane and Francesca, all the way here from Jupiter, Florida, and I missed some who came in late. I hate to leave you off, but you'll get to meet me afterwards. I'm glad you're all here, and those who are joining us online, and I pray that our worship today of God Almighty will be acceptable to Him and uplifting to us as well. As you can see from the banner, I have a series going this summer. The first month will be four people that Jesus met. July will be four places Jesus visited. No, August. And September will be four questions that Jesus asked this quarter. And I know there's one extra weekend in there and I'll be at polishing the pulpit. So I've, I've managed to fit them all in here. Our first person we're going to meet today, and only today, does not have a name. He is simply known as the man who was filled with so many demons that they called it Legion. It is interesting then in our chapter today, Luke chapter 8, that Jesus shows that he has power over three realms. Luke being the only Gentile to record his books in the New Testament, no doubt was familiar with the idea of the triplets, as in three things that are given as examples. We know from Luke chapter 15 that we have the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And here in Luke chapter 8, we are shown that Jesus had power over three realms that are given to us. That first realm is over nature. We find that as the disciples and Jesus were on their way to this east side of the Sea of Galilee, that he had power over the storm to calm it. We're shown this in other places. In Matthew chapter 14, as Jesus was walking across the water and they notice him, they are afraid. And Jesus allows Peter, when Peter says, allow me to walk out to you. And he does. And we know the story that Peter looked around and rather than keeping his eye on Jesus, looked around at the wind of the waves and became afraid. But Jesus calms the storm there. Jesus had power not only the... Uh, but he also had power over the fish. No doubt over all animals, but especially the fish. In Luke chapter 5, we read that verses 3 through 6, and getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. 
And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered in typical Simon fashion, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, we'll let down the nets. Almost in an incredulous way to say, okay, we'll put it down. But I told you, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. But here we find, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And from our sermon a couple of weeks ago, we find that at this point, Jesus convincing them that he was the Christ and had all power. He says, come, and I will make you fishers of men. But Jesus also had a power, not only the, of nature, not only of fish, but the miraculous ability to multiply the food. In Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 41, And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Jesus indeed had that power. And to go one further, Jesus had the power over all things in the spiritual realm as well. One of the first occasions in Mark chapter 1, we read that Jesus cast out the demons from the man. And being in Capernaum that we read and just prior to this, we pick it up in verse 23, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And even further in the realm of the spiritual nature of this universe, Jesus was able to withstand the king of Satan's army, Satan himself. We find in Matthew 4 that Satan threw everything he had at Christ. Yet Christ using the word of God saying, it is written. Satan could not overpower. And what's more, Jesus had power over death and disease. We find even here in Luke chapter 8, that Jairus' daughter, even when he was on his way, they came to him and said, don't trouble yourself anymore, for she is dead. And Jesus said, she's not dead, but only sleeping. Raised her from the dead. But while he was on his way, he had the woman who came to him and said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. She had suffered for so long. She had spent all she had. She had been to everyone she could possibly think of to cure her of the disease, and was only made worse. And upon touching that hem of his garment, was healed of her disease. So of all of the things that Jesus had power, Luke covers them here in chapter 8, showing that he was truly in charge of all things. Jesus had passion for this individual that we find in Luke chapter 8. And as we, we read of, in my own mind, I can only picture it being pitiful. Though the people were frightened of this man, I'm sure, or they tried to chain him, and I'm sure they had no, no reason to come and visit him. 
And such a pitiful figure there in the region called, some call it the Gadarenes, some call it the Gerasenes. We know the area there on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And it tells us in verse 27, when Jesus stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. And notice that is in a plurality. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. Dropping down to verse 29, it says, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by demons into the desert. And as I mentioned, it wasn't just one demon, but many. If we were historians, we would know exactly when he says, I am legion, it tells of how many that he had. But he wasn't the only one. If we drop back to the very beginning of Luke chapter 8, we find that Mary Magdalene was also a person. We read in verse 2 of Luke 8, And also some women from whom seven demons had gone out. There was something about the ability to cast out demons that made people, and especially women like Mary, want to follow Jesus. For they had realized the absolute horror and terror that they had lived in their lives. It is interesting as, as we think of, of the maladies. I try to think of terms that that would explain what people even today, we don't understand about what it must have been like to be possessed by demons. But we understand from viewing people who are tormented, tormented by things such as addictions in this life, and hearing the stories of the horrors of life that they live, time after time trying and failing, and being subject. No doubt, this man here, who remains unnamed, had endured the very same things. To what degree, who of us can understand what this man had endured? And within the context of this, of realizing that he had no place to live. For it tells us that he didn't live in a house, he lived in the tombs. A place where no one who was a Jew would live because there are the unclean bones of those who are dead. No doubt it was the only place that he could live, there in the tombs and in the wilderness, because no one wanted to be around this person. Now we think in terms of our modern day, when so many people are scourged in this life simply because of the effort from such choices. People that, well, let's be honest, people we don't want to be around. People who have fallen through the cracks of our society. But the very people whom Jesus himself died for. But it is interesting that for all of this, as we continue on in our passage today, that Jesus has a special place for this man. 
Beginning in verse 34, we read the reaction of the people in town. Out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. I'm going to stop right there before our next point. Because it is, what I say, it would be easy to understand how they would be afraid. It would be easy to understand that this man whom they had once feared, whom they had once shunned from their society, whom they had once held in shackles and even then could not be bound, found fear in him. When they saw him clothed and in his right mind. Who could have believed it? And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Imagine in all of the instances of which Jesus performed his miraculous deeds of calming the sea, and even the disciples declared, who is this that has power over the wind and waves? And those who had seen their loved ones healed, raised from the dead, all of these miracles that Jesus performed, it would be easy to understand how fear might be one of those emotions that they felt, because no one had ever done things of this nature. But there's a turn that happens right here between verse 36 and 37. And I, I, I can't imagine what it was in this moment that the people chose, unlike other areas, to say, then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. What is it in the mind of these people? As a whole, for it tells us not one of them said, I think I vote for keeping the guy here. How about you? Not one, apparently, said, we want this man to stay here. He said, she told us about it, but we see it with our own eyes, Samaritans. But here, all the people of the surrounding country. Now some may, may describe this reaction as, listen, our prophets just ran into the sea. Because the man with demon possession, that demon said, when I depart, put me into the swine. And they ran into the sea. So not only their livelihood but perhaps their food went with them. Was that a reason? Was that the only reason that we could think of why the people would want him to depart? Was it simply for financial reasons alone? We might surmise that, but we might also be wrong on that point. Whatever this fear was, it was enough for them to make an eternal mistake, possibly, to say... 
depart from here, seized with great fear. But there is a redeeming quality that happens at this moment. Verse 38, For the man whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Such an interesting turn here in the event. For oftentimes, Jesus had told those whom he had healed, don't tell anybody about this. For even in this very chapter, at the end, in verse 56 of Luke chapter 8, after he had raised their daughter, and her parents parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. In Matthew chapter 8, when the leper was cleansed, verse 4 says, And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. What is it here that this man who said, I will follow you? I believe Jesus knew that he would follow him, just as Mary Magdalene whom seven demons had been cast out, followed Jesus, along with the other women whom it tells us the spirits were cast out. But why do him to go and tell his story? Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. At this point, let's turn this passage inward for you and me. And I wonder how many of us, oh, I don't, I don't think there's anybody here who has been demon-possessed that has been cured of that. But I dare say that there are many of us who are followers of Christ, who are disciples of Christ, have lived an unscrupulous life. And the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all our sins. And remember what Paul said to those in Corinth as he described all of those heinous sins and said, such were some of you. After all, why be cleansed if we have not come out of sin? We all have. One of the things that has been somewhat unpopular among many is the idea of giving a testimony. But I'm not going to call it a testimony, but I'd rather like to think of it in terms of what Jesus told this man who was cured and healed and brought back to a, a normal state of mind. When he says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. You see, it doesn't diminish the cross. Any power whatsoever to say, as the song tells us, I once was lost in sin. But Jesus took me in. 
You see, we all can declare that. I once was lost in sin. And I would not want to tell you the life that I lived, lest it scare you before I was baptized, being unscrupulous. But all of us were once lost in sin. And what is it that keeps us from telling others? You see, Jesus, not to. They told him, from here. And Jesus, knowing this, that he cared so much for those people that he left for them one who could give testimony. If they were unwilling to accept Jesus there, they would surely see the one to whom they recognize. This is the man who used to be bound and shackled in the tombs. And here he is in his right mind. And Jesus tells him, Declare how much God has done for you. Can you think of a better poster child than this man here for the cause of Christ? Certainly they had rejected him. But now they have one who will tell the old, old stories we sung about earlier. Do we tell the old, old story of how we were lost in sin? The life we used to live. Now remember, you're not going to take credit for this because all credit, all honor, all glory belongs to Christ. For so he said he would do that for as many as who would accept him. Psalm 66, verse 16, a psalm that is credited to David. David says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. What has Jesus done for your soul? Tell people. Tell people that at one time you were caught in the throes of addiction. At one time you were caught in, you name the sin. But Jesus took me in. Tell of all that God has done to redeem your soul. Tell to all that he has, what he has done to pardon my guilt. Tell to all what he has done to give me peace and joy. Tell to all what he has done to enable me and you to overcome sin. Tell to all what Jesus has done to give comfort in the prospect of death. And tell to all what he has done to impart that hope of heaven above when this life is done. I find nothing wrong in being able to tell people of what Christ has done for me. We know that at one point Jesus said that those who are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them. Oh, I don't, I don't think we have to gush about everything in our lives to tell that story in an epic saga of the life we used to live. But tell how much Christ has done to redeem you and the new life. In fact, tonight's class, which happens online on our phone, is going to talk about that immersed life, the life that we now live being immersed in Christ. And in a few minutes, this lesson will be yours. 
and that's your signal you know it's about to end. Don't worry, we'll get you to the air show on time today. But as we close the sermon and offer the invitation, that invitation that has been open for 2,000 years, since Jesus gave that command to his disciples to go into all the world and preach forgiveness and redemption. My prayer and my hope, as well as the elders and members here, is that if you have not taken hold of that greatest promise ever given to mankind, that promise that your life shall be redeemed in this life, in eternity with God hereafter. And if you have not made that decision in your life, we pray that this will be the day. Don't delay another day. You will be as happy and as thankful in every way as that man who had been bound for so many years and was set free. Jesus said that the evil one came only to kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life. That life came through Jesus Christ. And I pray that through faith in Christ, that you'll make that stand and be ready to confess him as Lord and Master, to be repentive of those sins of the past and that in that point of which we have the contact with the blood of Christ, be baptized into Christ, therefore beginning that new life again. If you'll make that decision today, I pray that you'll think upon it as together we stand and sing. I hear thy welcome voice that calls.